This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. for the second hour of the program. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin. And, of course, you're you. You know who you are. And we appreciate you being out there and joining us for the second hour. Wherever you're listening in around the world on AMI-audio, maybe you're over there at AMI.ca, checking us out from the live stream. Maybe you've got us on AMI-tv somewhere in Canada, wherever you are. Thanks a lot, guys. Wonderful to have you. Uh, Ramya and I appreciate that time, and uh, Ramya, working our way through another real busy show. Yes, we are, and we have a brand new community reporter. So we know on the show that we've been checking in. Yeah, we've been checking in with community reporters Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and joining us in the family of community reporters is Stephen Ricci, and he's joining us from Toronto. Stephen, I mean, you're a new community reporter, but an old friend on the show. How's it going? It's going really great, and I'm looking forward to being the Toronto, AMI Toronto community reporter. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's Us pretty too. exciting. Thank you for joining. And we have only, you know, like 13-ish minutes with you now, and so much you want to get to just to just to get started on this. So where do you want to get started with? Well, I thought, you know, I, I, I'm not a, a stranger to AMI. I've been on the panel since its inception, and uh, I've been on uh, AMI TV and and radio and and manage our uh, our smart life segment uh, on Mondays. So I thought maybe a, a quick uh, uh, you know introduction on on who I am mm-hmm. and uh, and I am uh, born and raised in Toronto, Hogtown. So I I basically I I am a, a very proud Torontonian. Uh, I actually was born in Western Hospital, which is only about a ten minute drive from where I'm sitting right now in my home in Toronto. And uh, you know I love uh, entertaining business uh, guests and 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 uh, friends that come into town. I love showing off my city. I think <laughs> that for having such a large city. Um, you know, I think it's now the third largest city in North America. I think we beat out Chicago if uh, rumor has it. So um, mm. it's still pretty clean and relatively safe. So I, I, I love Toronto. And I've been, you know, my, my, my career has taken me all over Canada, almost every little nook and cranny throughout Canada. And I, I just love Canada and I love Toronto. So, uh, you know, I look forward to uh, reporting on um stories and events and and uh, whatever we can come up with over the next uh, months to come. Amazing. Well, White Lightning, we're absolutely happy to have you with us. Tell us, though, where that nickname originates. Yeah, please. So uh, I have uh, participated in the Cycle for Sight uh, fundraiser for Fighting Blindness Canada a few times, and uh, that was sort of my nickname, White Lightning, because uh, I guess... Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, I have albinism, so I am legally blind, and I was born this way, so no pigment, so there comes the white part. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't get much whiter than me, uh, so, uh, and I, I don't know that I'm that fast, but uh, it was just a, a fun <laughs> little uh, little AKA. I've got a few nicknames, and that's just one that is sort of stuck uh, throughout the days. <laughs> wow. Seems pretty well, practical. Well, we know I love nicknames. They're awesome. Yeah. Um, Mackenzie House Tour, let's start there with your first item to talk about as we look into Black History Month. Yeah, so, um, you know, there, uh, 
the uh, the CNIB, I guess, is is hosting a, a tour of the Mackenzie House. Uh, I think it's 82 Bond Street. Um, and uh, is that address correct? But uh, it'll be on the 28th of February, the last day of the month. So, uh, uh, you know, shortest month of the year and lots of different things. So um, it's it's basically to, uh, you know, uh, to, to go with the uh, Black History Month Awareness Month. And uh, the idea is that uh, it's going to be a tour of the of the printing house and um, the uh, the the first um, black um, publisher in North America. Um, and her name was. Let me just look at my notes here. Uh, her name is May Ann Shab. And uh, so you you people can go, and it's going to be uh, an interactive tour where you can actually. Um, you know, uh, get an experience to to do some printing and and see the tools and touch them and and have an interactive experience and and uh, you know see what was going on back then uh, when mm. you know the it, it not only was she the first um, black um, printer or publisher in, in the in the newspaper person in in uh, North America, but the first female publisher in Canada. So there's a uh, just something fun to do, and you know there's there's lots going on, and uh, and this is is something, and it does have an RSVP. I, I'm sure that you guys are able to to put the the yes. sort of notes or the the registration in your in your sort of uh, notes there, but uh, I mm-hmm. think it's something yep. that I sort of was looking this is at. Really there's, cool, there's so Steve. much. Going I, I'm glad on, but, you yeah. brought this because we were talking about old newspapers and things like that. We know with Black mm-hmm. History Month, we've got to be notable, but on top of that. You get the first lady publisher creating papers, bringing the press to everybody in Canada. I also think going to an old place where you see the old printing press, the tools they use as a media person is fascinating, Ramya. That part is what absolutely drives me to go to this tour, but it's happening in the middle of the show so we can't go, but maybe, Stephen, if you go, we can get you on live or something. But is it J.J. Hunt doing this tour? I can't remember uh if it's him if he's involved no. or not i don't think so okay. I, I don't know i don't think so okay no. but anyway regardless you know just the kinds of descriptions that we're going to get for for anyone who's attending and the fact that they would cater this to the blind vision community is absolutely fabulous yeah. and, and it's 2 30 to, to 3 30 printing yes. press yes yeah hands on oh, you know it's mm-hmm. a it's yeah. an interactive experience uh you know, so it'll be a tactile uh, event, and and you know, yeah, I think it. Uh, it's it's. I thought it was something notable. I was oh, I was looking for something that was that was uh, a little bit uh, different and a little unique, and and I'm pretty fascinated with that whole printing piece. I, I uh, a few years ago, I got the the opportunity to go and have a tour of APH American Printing House for the Blind in in uh, Louisville, mm. Kentucky, and mm. uh, you know, we we saw some some pretty cool, obviously a little different kind of printing with yep. uh, braille braille transcription and stuff like that but it was it was pretty uh intense and you know going you way see back the old too. recording studios too yeah yeah wow pretty, that's pretty cool wow. that is yeah, wild so, so i think this will be worthwhile it looks like it's going to be well organized and uh absolutely just... and and just one thing to take part in this month right for black history month and the the recognition the celebration um we love promoting events like this you also have some brief mentions of uh, for from friends at the CCB Toronto Visionaries chapter, they're doing a lot. So what's going on in February? 
So they've got a uh, a, a tour of the Beta the Bata um, Shoe Museum. So if you've got a, a shoe fetish, um, you know that is definitely. Uh, uh, I've I've actually been through it myself many yes. years ago, and you know it's it's a pretty fun, quick uh, tour, and and you know once again another another uh, you know something something that's historical for uh for toronto and you know we've got so much to share on uh on on what has actually happened here you know we kind of joke about toronto being the center of the universe well we don't as torontonians but everywhere else in the country they seem to always sort of think mm -hmm. that but uh yeah so um i think that's on the 25th uh, uh if i'm not mistaken or the 24th i i I have to apologize. I uh, with the setup here with my camera, I'm having a tough time seeing my notes. Okay. So I have to figure out a a new system for next month. Yeah, and we'll put that up on our uh, blog as well, ami.ca slash Kelly Co. Um, but okay. yeah, the Bata Museum is a fascinating place. Oh yeah. my there, goodness, there's uh, so much there. Yeah, yeah I did a, yeah. I did a TV piece years ago, and it was just wonderful because you go there. In all fairness, Stephen, I don't know if you felt the same. Check it out. Wow, how much is there in history, or what are you going to show me about shoes? And yep. it's absolutely fascinating. And geography too, not just history. Yeah, but, you know. Just, yes. yeah. yeah. It's really easy to get on? to. Really oh, yeah. easy to get to. You know, it's yeah. mm -hmm. uh, public transit um, wise. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. And uh, I have to say, I, I the, the the next thing I can't remember. Um, anything else? Uh, the bowling, I think, is the oh, the bowling, yeah. yes, the bowling. That's, that's is, the yeah. next day, yeah, the next bowling. So the, the you know the there's always so much going on, and like I was talking about it, uh, you know, or, or what I mentioned when I sent over, you know, what I wanted to mention, and that is, you know, it's it's pretty easy to to keep in the loop. Um, there's so many different lists that are available to find out all the different things, and there. Um, whether it's for the the sight loss community or just the people the, the disabled community uh, across the GTA, um, but you know through all the different lists and, and it's very easy to to get yourself on those lists. Whether it's you know the um, you know CCB or the Toronto Visionaries, uh, and and they're they're catering to everything from you know bingo to pub nights to yeah. Um, you know, types of events like bowling or, or you know, going to the the, the Beta Shoe uh, Museum or, or whatever. So uh, between, you know, uh, Balance Beat List or Tour Shout mm -hmm. or uh, AEBC uh, has, you know, uh, it, it's actually gets to a point where, um, you know, I'm, I'm hearing about events about in four different ways, but you know, I'd, I'd rather nice. hear about it than miss it, right? Yes, and, and not. Uh, I know. I know there was a, a few years ago there was some some talk about trying to sort of consolidate it into one sort of list so that what you know you're not getting the same sort of information from five different sources. But you know, um, it just shows you know how much our community here uh, in Toronto and elsewhere are are really. Uh, you know, getting to be able mm. to do things together and, 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 you know, that's not only just for interest and learning, but it's also peer support, you know, whether it's a yeah. safari walk or, or a pub night, you know, you, you get to engage and, and get to, to have some time with, with, uh, you know, fellow people in Others the community. Like you. And it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you never know. And honestly, it's, it, it's an amazing problem to have, to have, you know, five things left and right happening the same day in the community that are being organized and with white cane week, uh, and all the other things to be recognized in 
February. It's it's never ending, which is fabulous. Thank you so much, Stephen. We got to let you go now, but uh, you'll be back next month. Okay. Take care. Thank you. Yeah. Bye bye. Stephen Ricci is our community reporter, the newest one in our roster for Toronto, and he's going to be joining us next month. But our reports are here Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays. We'll step aside for just a couple of moments. In our latest report from Robert Half, Michael French shares some useful insights for employers and job seekers to cultivate strong working relationships and find passion at work. We'll be right back. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Well, thanks for being with us, ladies and gentlemen, as we rock your afternoon here with all sorts of content, information, and always having some fun in the middle of your week. Sometimes you need that pick-me-up on the Wednesday. Well, join us. We're here at 2 p.m. Eastern Live, our repeat of the program. You can find one on AMI-audio and, funny enough, on AMI-tv at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. So uh, check them out, or, of course, check out our podcast when you get a chance. We'll tell you more information about that a little later on in the show. But today, Ramya and I are going to be joined for uh, our Robert Half segment. Um, and today, in our latest report from Robert Half, Michael French, who's joining us here, is going to share some information with us about our employers and job seekers to cultivate relationships and find passion at work. Michael, thanks for being with us. Always wonderful. Kelly, thanks for having me on. I love joining you and Ramya. Well, we have a lot of fun. We appreciate it. And we get so much information and always something curious. And today you've got it for us. Um, can you discuss some of your latest findings on strengthening relationships within teams at work? Well, this is really interesting. So yesterday we celebrated our personalized Valentine's Day. Relationships at home, passion at home. And surprisingly, maybe passion is not the right word for work, but when you think of work, we have deep relationships at work. And it's great when you have passion at work as well. And so we asked hiring managers in the fourth quarter of last year, tell us about someone you tried to hire and the one that got away. And not surprising, 92% came through and said they missed out on an amazing hire last year. And when we asked them sort of why, you know, not surprised, we talked about lots. Number one reason, couldn't make the salary demand happen. So that's, that's a money thing. Then it came through, number two, counteroffer. So the uh, person trying to hire, trying to build a relationship, they stayed at the current employer and they took a counteroffer. And the third one, this is what we talked about lots too, took too long to make the offer. And that has no cost mm. to it. People just drag their feet. So afraid to sort of make that commitment, afraid to jump in, they, they drag their feet. So relationships are really important in our personal life as well in the workplace. And mm. when you're talking mm. about dragging your feet, uh, we're referring to the employers, Michael? Yes, we're okay. referring to the employers. Okay. So the stats we're hearing now is it's taken sort of 15 weeks to uh, to onboard someone. And you got to think, and so in there, what do we do for 15 weeks? Well, a lot <laughs> yeah. of that was sitting and waiting. So you, know, you start off a little bit of waiting for the interview, and then a lot of times in there, the employer's waiting and waiting, getting their ducks in a row in the offer letter. While that job seeker, someone looking for a change, they're out there meeting multiple companies, mm -hmm. and so they're very active. So if you're going to yeah, drag your feet yeah. as an employer, you're going to miss the very best people. And, and I can imagine, Michael, it must be so frustrating for employers, a manager who has got the green light to bring somebody on board, 
and whatever, whether it's yourself, upper management, HR department, wherever it might be, as everybody's trying to get their ducks in order to do this, to lose that great catch that they could have, that that wonderful potential contribution to the team. Well, you're so right. And just think of the time you've spent and the investment you've made. You know, you like the person, you've met them several times, you're going to hire them. But somewhere along the way, something's taken longer than expected. And then someone gets in there and they scoops up your great person. And unfortunately, that relationship never got built. Yeah, I, I mean, I got to commend the job seekers in this context for not waiting around, um, you know, demanding their their side of the story and saying, hey, if you're going to take forever, then I'm already looking elsewhere and or having conversations with multiple other employers. But it leaves the employers in an interesting predicament, right? So what are we learning from hiring managers? So what we're telling hiring managers, make sure you have all your pre-approvals. Make sure you have a very, very sharp job description. Make sure you share it early and make sure that the entire team of upward and downward is ready to make an offer when you like a person. And there's no sense going for four, fifth, six rounds. You meet someone once, twice, make that offer. If you think they're right, jump. Make sure you're ready to commit. Why in the I, past, though, as a quick follow-up, you know, do we go for these multiple rounds of interviews? Is it just a specific skill set that we're all looking for or the ideal candidate or, you know, what makes that difference? Because I, I, I imagine it would be hard to go from, you know, five rounds of interviews to say, okay, no, we just got to do it fast, 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 one or two rounds and that's it. You know, we've talked a lot about coming off of a, a number of really challenging years. And and now we're hearing a little bit, there's a little bit of sort of maybe wind in our face. Is the economy strong? We know the job market strong and making sure is the person right? So you meet them again and then maybe bring somebody else in and next week. Uh -huh. Are they right? So a little bit gun shy, but the job market's still exceptionally strong. There's lots of offers out there, even though we hear some downsizing, it's a chance for many companies to actually upgrade and bring on some really strong talent, sometimes coming from some amazing companies who are having mm. to, shed some, to shed some talent. But this is just it's one area of relationships. When you think of it as well, yeah. we have the internal relationships. And we know from speaking with hiring managers and, and professionals that they say, two thirds of people say, they build deeper relationships when they are face to face. Yeah. So there are still some struggles when you're fully remote. You may not necessarily always build that relationship deep. So if you want to have a deep relationship at work, make sure you are going to the office and meeting people face-to-face. -face. Well, it must be interesting for those who are seeked out via headhunters and you know that you're, what, you're, what you do is sought after because I know many listeners who are in the disability community, we sit there and do one thing at a time. Hey, there's a potential job. I'm going to go after it. So we may not be as, wow, really? To, to, to lose out or a company lose out on me? So, you know, I understand it's a total different thinking when you have that person out there who is sought after because of ability, what they do, what they bring potentially to that table. So what can managers and employees take away from all this, Michael, in the way of moving forward? And again, there's only so much a manager can do to cut the time down if it involves others and only so much patience a prospective um, employee can have. So a couple of things. Leaders of organizations be ready to hire. Make sure you're prepared to make an offer and make sure you're not just there approval-wise, but you're there in the right headspace to make the offer. And then for people seeking, 
if you've chosen, if you've been called by a recruiting firm or if you've chosen to activate a job search, make sure you're looking at multiple opportunities. Make sure you're yeah. looking all the job boards, talking to recruiting companies, talking to uh, companies directly, visit all the websites and pursue multiple opportunities. Figure out what you want. I say reflect on what you want your next job to be. Do you, do you want a, a, a bigger job? Do you want a lateral job? Do you want to change industries? Figure out what you want. Make sure then your LinkedIn and, and your resume match and they're very cohesive and then network, 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 network. Make sure you're out there meeting people, talking to people, going to all kinds of events, shaking hands, meeting as many people as you can, and then you'll have a lot of irons in the fire. And then when you get those calls, you'll know exactly how in demand you are because you know so many people and they know that you're looking. Mm. And you're all you're always in hotter demand when you've got a job. So don't quit until you actually have that offer in hand. Right. Um, I'm curious about the the other parts we were mentioning, which is the internal relationships when you're building that foundation or the rapport with your colleagues. And what you mentioned about if you're remote, then try to make it into the office, right? And um, I think that it's fair to say the reality is not everybody has the opportunity to do that anymore because companies are expanding. We're taking on remote work from different provinces. You're not always being... Uh, you literally can't make it into the office <laughs> as much as you can, so or as much as you used to. So do you have any thoughts around that and how we can still foster these relationships? And this is a really interesting area because this is something that wasn't really on our radar three or four years ago. People went to the office, a handful of workers were remote, yeah. but they were sort of the exception. And now it's holding the turn on its head. And we know in talking with people, just under half are more comfortable collaborating with colleagues that they work face-to-face -face with, or at least have spent time together. Now that still could be virtual. You could still be doing video, but it's very, very challenging if you haven't at least met. Mm. And that's up to managers. You know, you gotta have a reason to bring people together. If you haven't got an office, Unfortunately, then this, this is something you're going to struggle with. But if you have space, what are you doing to bring people together with a purpose? Are there formal things that you're doing, having meetings, informal days? Maybe maybe you're sponsoring a speaker coming and talking to your people. Are you going to have lunch for the day? Bring people in. Have a bit of a mixer or a social chance to talk to people. We know if, if all you do is talk about work, you're never going to have a very deep relationship. It's more sharing um, what we're interested in, our hopes, interests, uh, where we're challenged at work, where we could use some more help. So when managers create that kind of environment, we know collaboration is fostered 100 times over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's got to be a level of that openness to have discussion to when someone counters an idea or a thought that you're not taking it personal. And the only way to get those things is to have a more familiar, comfortable, and recognize we're, we're all here to do a job. We're all here to solve something. But it is nicer to be able to smile or laugh and then get back to the business at hand and, and, and in those collaborations. Michael, was there anything else insights-wise that you want to discuss with us? You know what? Uh, we've had a, a really, really... Uh, very interesting topics lately. There's been a lot of talk on sort of back to the office, how we're using the office space, but we still know if you want to attract the very best people, companies need to at least embrace hybrid remote to attract the very best talent. And if you're a job seeker, figure out what you really want in your job search. What are you trying to achieve by the search? Is it money? Is it title? Or is it the ultimate flexibility? 
We've talked about remote, hybrid, and also four days a week. Is that what you're looking for? And it's all out there. Go look for it and find it. It's really interesting. You know, the conversations we were having with you and um, others from Robert Half through the pandemic and to see how much of a stark difference these conversations are now post-pandemic to, to kind of like the, you know, maybe this will happen, maybe that'll happen. We're not really sure, but this is kind of trending up. That's trending down to, yeah, this is where we're at now. And to reflect on some of these conversations from years before is um, is absolutely amazing. It's mm. shocking. If you, if yes. you think back to, to March 2020, think back to March pre-COVID, if the boss Perfect. said, you know, we're going we're gonna to embrace a hybrid scenario, we would have been very skeptical. Yeah, like, really? Yeah, right. yep. Are we going to do this? But yet we're sitting here today talking about four days a week, which is very, very different. But we all have confidence that we're headed there. Yeah. Because we've been through yeah. so much change. And we know that companies can actually do it. And companies know that people are going to embrace it. There could be some challenges, but at the other end, we're going to come out stronger. So we've all well, changed so much in, in three years. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting, Michael, because as you say this and you stop and say how much we've changed, you almost stop and say how much more would we have braced, God forbid, if we had gone on with this another four years, where right. it almost is, remember the old way we used to work? Oh, that's a distant memory. And once it's flooded by people who have kind of grown up a little bit more, been a little older in different positions, if we were in seeing them adapt to what is there now, we're still kind of, oh, I miss Remember when, and we're still sort of fighting ourselves on that, but yet wanting four-day work week. As a real possibility. Oh. It, it, it's very close. And we're still struggling yeah. with this. You know, we're loving the work from home. We're loving the hybrid, but we're, we're craving missing that face-to-face -face with our colleagues. And so yes. there's a personal internal struggle here. I'm loving being able to work from home certain days. And if I don't see my, my, my work friends, my work colleagues for over a week, my goodness, I miss them. I miss chatting at the coffee, the coffee counter. I miss going for a, sort of a short walk with someone. So these relationships are very, very important. And as we're talking about new work scenarios, each one of them pulls in a different direction. And the whole yeah. thing is going to balance. Mm. We talk about sort of a seesaw. Now it's a bit more of a, a floating plane here. There's many different ways that we can tilt. Yes. You bet. And I remember this myself when I started doing a little working at home. When I first did TV stuff, I did it a few days a week. And I would get those days you're talking about where, gosh, I wish I was in there arguing, joking around, carrying on in the kitchen over the coffee maker. Thanks, Michael. Thank you very much. Michael French from Robert Half, of course, joining us. The latest news over there, getting into always a tremendous discussion right here on Kelly and Ramya and uh, really interesting insights as usual. Coming up next, folks, we get a discussion going with Marcus McCracken on how games are continually being improved for accessibility and inclusion for gamers out there with disabilities. You're going to learn a lot because I am certainly going to coming up next. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. Catch the Pulse this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 10.30 a.m. Pacific on AMI-audio, of course. Tina Apalaki is a mother, advocate, 
artist, and co-founder of Prosthetics for uh, Foreign Donations. She reflects on her journey as the black parent of an amputee, and uh, her and Joita settle down for an incredible conversation. That's this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 10.30 a.m. Pacific on AMI-audio, also available on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube. Kelly McDonald settled in here with Ramya Muthan. Well, as we continue to try our hand at locking in an accessible gaming segment here on the show, we're still working on that once a month. Uh, We check in with different guests to continue the conversations around accessible and inclusive gaming. And Marcus McCracken is joining us today. He is a blind video gamer. He loves video games. He explores how the games are continually being improved for accessibility and inclusion for gamers with disabilities, um, blind gamers like himself specifically. So let's find out more about Marcus's game in life. Marcus, welcome to Kelly and Romeo. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Um, absolutely, yes. I My name is Marcus. I'm a blind gamer. I technically have been gaming my entire life. Um, up until a few years ago, when my vision decided to go a little worse. Mm. I did think my gaming was over. I had a PlayStation 4, which ended up just sitting there. I... Um, Ended up coming across a YouTube content creator, Steve Saylor, who introduced me to um, the, the Last of Us Part Two on the PS4, and that's when I realized accessibility is making its way into games. Before that, I never really thought to even look for something like that. Right. As my site was pretty decent enough to not even worry about it, and ever since then, it took a comment on another creator that I follow. Um, on one of their videos and it led to an interview and I'm at where I'm at today with, I ended up creating Get Back Into The Game. To me, that I think came across because I got back into gaming Mm -hmm. and now now I'm really, I've got a YouTube channel going. I'm all over the social networking. My goal is to get into consulting with different developers, whether it be big, um, big game developers or indie studio, which are your smaller studios, just to help them understand that accessibility is and should be a must in the gaming industry, especially um, for all levels, not just vision. Right. Yeah, because surprisingly, and I say this very sarcastically, people don't know that blind people and people with disabilities want a game. So so we need to keep spreading that word. Well, you can hear your passion. Marcus, when when watching your videos and what it means to you to be back able to play? Yeah, the passion's always been there. Now I think it's increased because I'm not only trying to enjoy the games myself, but I'm trying to hopefully make a difference for somebody else so that they can see if if they pick up the hobby for something new or getting back into it, it is possible. I um, recently introduced the CNIB to gaming. So we're actually doing a community hub challenge for the GTA area and a few other areas. I can't remember all my notes right now. So, um, so that's huge on that part. Video gaming, Marcus? Yes, it okay. will be, it's it's a partnership that CNIB has with Microsoft. So it's kind of integrated with a come to work program we also offer. Mm-hmm. Nice. But we, yeah, we've had... Uh, connecting the dots back in October, I believe, we had at least, I want to say, eight, maybe ten participants show up just to see the, how the Xbox works. That's what we are um, demonstrating right now. Yeah. 
Nice. Nice. Yeah. Uh, what will that look like? What, what can you say with the challenge? What will that look like? A few getting together and learning, playing? Will they have learned already and kind of get together for a bit of a tournament-style event? Uh, what will that look like? As far as the community hub goes, I'm, I believe the team is looking at for different hubs to challenge. Uh, we'll use Forza. It's a racing arcade-style game. Mm -hmm. Just to see who can finish the race in the fastest time or just finish in general. Um, awesome. Or... Or Madden uh, put two and two together, one hub against the hub. Like say, um, we'll use London for now against say Toronto and see who comes out on top. Or you can play together, couch co-op, which means you side by side. So you just be as a teammate. Probably the um, best part about video gaming in the context of uh, connecting you with others, right? So it, there are a lot of accessible games out there for blind and low vision people. I want to put that out there, but they're usually text-based games and they're usually single-player games and they're usually audio-only games, so it's very niche creation mm -hmm. for blind and low vision gamers. But right. when you're talking, picking up a video game that everybody else is playing, but you can do it on your console, in the way that it works for you and still play with others on the internet, wherever, um, that is just next level. You know, it's next level of feeling included. That's like the power of the iPhone being what it is, yeah. Marcus. Yeah, with that said, um, actually, I just wrapped up a two segment on YouTube comparing NHL and Madden with the screen reader. So if you haven't had a chance, check that out. But the big games, they are coming. Um, I, I personally want to believe it started with uh, Naughty Dog's The Last of Us. That's just the game that I got into first. So I want to say I want to give them a lot of credit for mm -hmm. the, the game changing. There might be others out there for big games, but that's the one I'm always going back to. Um, what, just other, to bring it, what are other games yeah. that, that are would you say are accessible? Um, besides... Sports-wise, Madden is really accessible. Um, Forza 5, Forza Horizon 5 is really accessible. Uh, that's on the Xbox side. Um, there's a game called Vesk Falls. It's a story-driven game. Everything is narrated in that game right from your choice options in the, in the game. It's When I mean by story-driven, you actually have to make the choices on your character's uh, directions or what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, like I said, that one's visual, so it, you you don't have to have the accessibility on there if you don't want. If you don't need it, you don't really necessarily have to have it. But your uh, audio cues are there. You have five to ten seconds to choose an option, depending on what scenario you want to go with. I've actually played that game at least six times, just because okay. I like the story, and I the try to change there. it. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. See, see, I find this so powerful. I made that little remark there about the iPhone, and I guess what I, I should really quantify what I meant is it's accessible out of the box, and it's tremendous to think of what these games that aren't necessarily designed for the community, the low vision blind community, but are accessible, are having it built in there. That's such a powerful feeling. Yes, and the great thing with that is Microsoft does a really good job with it. The Xbox you are prompt as soon as you take it out of the box when you set up. I actually missed the prompt when I set mine up, but you do have the option to have your screen reader on. It's built in. Um, Microsoft, it's narrator. 
So you can right out of the box, you can set it up. If, if you need screen reader, it's right there for you. And when you go into the Xbox store, they actually have a accessibility spotlight section and all of their games are tagged with different accessibility settings. Um, that's just one section. There are games just in the general store that are, if, if they have accessibility settings in there, they will tag them so that you know if you might be able to play it or if it's not going to be for you. Right. And yeah, the best thing is there's a game pass. If you have ultimate, you have the option to try games for free. You can download them for free. It's the whole game. It's not a demo. And you also, that will give you the opportunity. Can I play this or is it not for me? Now I know we're talking more on the side of what is deemed accessible, right? Like screen reader, the tagging of the elements, um, the settings that you can toggle on or off for more or less access needs requirements. But I'm curious about before all this, or even maybe now, what games that you could kind of get away with for you personally, because I think that this is a very subjective question. Um, mm -hmm. What game were you able to get away with, even though it wasn't technically accessible? Maybe the sound was good. I hear a lot about, you know, different combat games like Mortal Kombat, where uh, blind people love playing it and they just use the sound design to help them along. Yeah. They adapt. Yeah. So games that I used to play consisted of really wrestling, hockey, and the occasional um, Call of Duty. Right. I never really, I would always, I kept the medium as a difficulty, medium or easy, depending on what I wanted to do in the game. Yeah. Um, now, if I'm trying to play a game, um, I'm waiting for a game to come out as Street Fighter, and I've tried playing Mortal Kombat. You do, for me, I was trying to use my hearing, but that's more, that's a skill I need to pick up when it comes to gaming, because I'm not used to doing that. Mm-hmm. But um, from what I have seen, a lot of folks do do that, and it works out really well for them. There's, I cannot think of the gentleman's name right now, but he's over in the UK. He's a, a um, he's either Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter blind gamer, but he's considered one of the champions in the tournaments. Oh have, wow! Just using the audio cues of where the opponent is. And you would think, right, that in parentheses, this opinion, you would think that, you know, Mortal Kombat would get wind of that and say, hey, we want to make this accessible for you. That's awesome that you play our game as a blind person. Not yet. Uh, I can't remember what Mortal Kombat. It's either 11 or 12. The screen, um, there is some dictation on the menu screen, okay. but I'm not sure if it's built right into the game. It might be just part uh, of the Not game. to my oh. knowledge. Not okay. to my knowledge, yeah. Yeah, I lost touch with Mortal Kombat years ago. But I will take back my words if that is true. Um, so cool, though. And let's go back to the console talk, because I'm curious. Mm -hmm. You mentioned yeah. Xbox a lot, but do you have any comparisons back to the PlayStation life? Okay, so the PlayStation 4, that's what I owned. Um, there was uh, Zoom text, so you can zoom in. Narration was on there. It did not do a very good job back then. But I have asked numerous people that I follow, the PlayStation 5, they've done an excellent job on the updates. So I, I have been notified that it now reads pretty much everything that your Xbox will. So if you go into your store to read your games, more than likely what it's about, I will personally be able to speak more on that. I just actually invested in a PlayStation 5. I'm just waiting for it to be delivered. 
so I will be able to compare them both of them. But I have heard good thoughts about the next gen console as opposed to the PlayStation 4 updates. Mm. Um, nice. And the Xbox, are they doing it right? Do you have any concerns or things that they're still not necessarily getting up to speed on for your screen reader or other access needs? On the main console, I think because the, the Xbox accessibility itself, that's due from Microsoft. So the only update I would really like them to do is the in-game, um, I can't think of the word, but there's an option if you have it checked, it will read some game menus because not all the games have the screen reader, of course. Uh, one I can think of in particular is Sea of Thieves. The Microsoft narrator actually reads that menu, but it's select on what games it'll read. So if they could do an update on that portion of it, I think it would be a tremendous because there's a lot of games. There's settings there, but the narration sometimes will read or it will not, which is very common. Um, What are your conversations, Marcus? Like, as much as you said you'd love to be someone getting in there doing testing, you'd love to promote the accessibility and encourage companies. How have those conversations, and I know I don't want you to go into, you know, detail of stuff that's kind of between you and them, that where you are, and but have they been eager? My first two interviewed, they um, they were really eager to talk to me. Like I said, that one consisted of one comment I made on one of their YouTube videos. Um, very eager. Because of that, I, I've got a huge following. Um, the next interview I had was actually from a representative from EA discussing the accessibility and what could be what needs to be fixed in their NHL game. Now that one, he, he's a, he, as he put it, he's a small fish in EA's pond, but he was more than happy to uh, send out our, our conversation to the bigger higher ups in EA. Mm-hmm. So the conversations are there and my followers are really supportive. And in turn, I support them back too. Like you know, I'm forever dropping names if I can help it. But the, so far, the two interviews that I've had, and I'm actually hoping to have another one, especially with EA, has been really um, very appreciative and supportive on both sides. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting the parallels, right? Because Michael Fair, who comes on weekly to talk um, anything and everything tech, including audio entertainment, has spoken of his own personal experience trying to get a hold of um, developers, right? Audio game developers, text game developers, et cetera. And being just the response from smaller, newer uh, developers is very different from the big guns. Yeah. My... Biggest accomplishment actually was from a developer called Outright Games. Their focus is on family-oriented gaming, for, especially for kids. I uh, reached out to them uh, a couple months ago, and they actually reached back out. And they, um, the conversation, just to sum it up, when we will, I'll pass this on to our accessibility department, and if anything comes up, we will be more than happy to reach back out to you. Mm-hmm. So since nice, then, nice. I now have at least one developer on my Twitter feed that follows me. So that that was right there was a major stepping stone for me on that aspect. 
Fantastic. tremendous efforts of inclusion, the interest there. And especially when you hear somebody, a company that deals with family. I mean, I used to hear about the switch and when it became more accessible and powerful for, with that. Yes. I hope the switch is more accessible. I don't know too much about Nintendo, but I, from what I've read up on, I think I Steve someone, speaks to that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. I know I was asked once to look it up and I could not find really anything um, really big to to brag about for Nintendo, but I don't want to speak on Nintendo because, like I said, I do not have one. Yeah, but um, before we let you go, which is about to happen, Marcus, tell us where you demo so that people can check out your uh, YouTube channels. What do you? What do we look for? You can find me on YouTube. Just search for at Get Back Into the Game, and for those of you that can't see, you will find my uh, brand logo. Unless I changed it, it should be just a circle with a bunch of different colored uh, game controllers in the middle, and it says get back into the game and gaming for everyone. Love it. Awesome, Marcus. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure we'll uh, speak again very soon. Thank you for having me. I look forward to it. Marcus McCracken joining us to talk accessible gaming and specifically console gaming. Madden. Madden, Ramya. I know. I, know. I like game. that. <laughs> now, you may not see me, after I've learned that for a long time. But right. I like that. <laughs> I will come back, though, in two minutes, folks, and we'll wrap up the show and tell you a little bit about tomorrow and see what's up on Now with Dave Brown. Madden. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. The wind, my goodness, I love it. You hear it? As long as I'm not out in it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Now, there is a level of where the wind is nice to hear it, to cover up sound, and then there's that level where it gets to the point where, no, you don't want to hear it dragging every sign and everything across <laughs> no. parking lots, knocking everything down. That disrupts you if you're like, oh, that wonderful sound. You know? Kind of like if it rains too hard, it just becomes a... Thumping, thumping noise right. instead of individual drops. I know what you wow. mean. There's that perfect sound of the, yeah. the blizzard, right? Yeah. Yes. You know, you love that wind sound, but not when it's slamming all the, the shutters and everything like that. Oh, shutters. No one has those around here. <laughs> well, this part of Canada anyway. Uh, folks, if you want to check out any of the program, please check out our podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. If you're in there, please give us a rating and review. We'd appreciate it. Just look for Kelly and Ramya on your favorite podcaster. Um, and uh, we'd appreciate you taking any time to listen to the show when you have time in case you can't be with us live at 2 p.m. Eastern. Ramya, a segment or two you want to mention today. I will say the heavy conversation that Grant and I had uh, in our headlines convo about the medical assistance in dying is is something worth checking out if you can stomach it because the the perspectives and just like the real depth of um, problem you know and challenge that we're seeing for people who opt in or consider opting in and how that relates back to really just are they getting quality of life and is that why we're you know offering this because people don't want people can't live the quality of life they don't have the uh, the support in order to do that so they'd rather die that that's just there's so much to unpack there yeah 
Uh, very interesting conversation. I'll have to check that out because I wasn't able to hear a lot of what you guys were talking about with, the, with getting things sorted at this end. Same with the conversation with Margaret Weldon, Doctors Without Borders. Very much something we hear about, we need in this world, and you can't say enough about the work done and the honoring that the, definitely has been bestowed upon them that they deserve. Doctors Without Borders on In the Know, part of Margaret's discussion with Ramya, also in today's program. Let's see what's going on tomorrow on Now with Dave Brown as we invite Paul Daniel in. He's one of the producers over there. Their program available on AMI-tv at 9 a.m. in the morning, also available as a podcast. Sir, Thursday edition, what's it got for us? Hey, Kelly, on tomorrow's show, we'll meet our newest community reporter, Nathan Clement in Vancouver, who shares his personal story with us. And Kelly, as you know, it's no surprise to anyone here. These are challenging economic times when saving money feels next to impossible for many people. Our columnist, uh, Ryan Chin, will tell us how people can save money in these uncertain days. Stephen Scott from Double Tap will discuss the decision by Apple for its dropbacks for Mac users will no longer support, provide support for, for its external drives. He'll tell us why, awesome. what the alternatives are. Mm. Mm -hmm. Very good. It, you know, when it comes to saving money, guys, I think it's a feeling of, I can't get on top of it. I can't get ahead. I think that's where people get stuck, Ramya. Yeah, how could you get ahead? I mean, if you can barely afford your groceries, and those are the basic conversations we're having. Yeah. Paul? It's just, it's a, it's a challenge, right? I mean, for people who are, who are on social assistance, it's 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 next to them. It's, it is impossible. It, yeah. it is impossible. You're always falling behind. You can never, you can never catch up. Because if you catch up, you lose some of your benefits. Mm -hmm. You're saving money. You can't do it. The, the nature yeah. of the... Of the Social assistance, it leaves, takes away the incentive to save money. Right. And we all have problems and circumstances yeah. that were there before. And now you say, well, we're just going to put up my, what food? It's going to go even more higher and faster. What, where am I at this point? And it's a, a real feeling of uh, stress, tragedy, and what a way to interrupt one's life and comfort. Thanks, Paul. Take care, Kelly. We'll talk to Paul Daniel when he previews now with Dave Brown on the program tomorrow when he joins us. So uh, do catch uh, the, that moment where we find out what those guys have for us beginning at 9 a.m. in the morning right here on AMI-tv. And Ramya, we'll be back here on audio and TV tomorrow beginning at 2 tomorrow. And we've got interesting topics to begin the show. Sh sea shanties have had a bit of a survival, or a, a sudden revival, as a matter of fact, in the past few years. We're going to discuss it with Christine Malik on Curious Minds. Mary Mammolini is going to bring up my favorite oil to cook with and to have raw and everything else, the olive oil. And I mean, she is going to have a lot to say about that. You know, they say don't get too much olive oil into you. This, this, eh, yeah. Do they? Well, we'll see what Mary says. Awesome. Uh huh. Too late. Folks, we'll have those conversations tomorrow on the program. Fedora's off to you. Take care. On Tuesday's show, we got into a discussion with our community reporter. Pertaining usage of a cane, and Tony remarked that she got hit by a car because she really wasn't using a cane at the time. The next day, she took that cane out. And I've always learned, of course, when you're ready to do something, you will, whether it's 
uh, weight battle if you're having and when you choose to start trying different things that hopefully are healthy and okay in which to achieve a goal you might want to have or knowing, hey, this is something in my family's history. I have to watch that. We, we equate so much of that stuff to health, but do we too when it comes to our traveling? I know people who drive cars, they get their license and all the poor habits start then. The things that they don't worry about, straddling lanes or whatever it might be, rolling through stops. But when it comes to using a white cane, I know for me, it took an embarrassing moment, but not for me. I didn't really enjoy carrying my cane. I had enough usable vision, so I thought that for areas I knew where I was going, I was all right. I'd hang on to somebody's elbow and be guided. That's what my family and I did. And I remember when I was doing a summer theater program in Toronto and being billeted at a, a, a family's place, and the son was involved in the same theater program, so I would travel back and forth with him. And I think it was the second day we come back from being there, chatting away, carrying on. We hit it off so well. And we ran into some friends of his that kind of reacted funny. And I can't really necessarily say, I, you know, oh, I know what they were thinking. I'm, I'm you know, whatever, you know. But it was more so the air became thick. We were outside and it was, you know, oh, oh, hi. And it was an awkwardness that had happened in an instant from, hey, saying hi to him to suddenly silence and a moment beat beat and him saying well nice seeing you guys talk to you later okay and i realized i may have made him feel awkward now one could argue whether one should or shouldn't it dawned on me that there were people who knew him and over not seeing him for a couple weeks were confused by who's the guy with you there's something going on he's hanging on to you and I'm not saying they didn't realize, oh, the, the guy's blind, okay, or what. But I can tell you, I felt at that point that one lesson that if they had seen the white cane, at least one of them would have said, oh, that guy he's walking with is blind. Oh, okay, he's showing him something, where to go, and making sure the man, whatever they thought at 14 years old. But it was one of those things that, I myself not only realized, hey, man, walking with a cane safety-wise is better for me. Safety-wise is better for the people around me. And socially, it allows it to speak. And I, so many times, playing with kids when I was younger, things would happen and a kid would throw a ball to me or I'd bump somebody and found myself explain, I'm sorry, I didn't see you. You see, I can't see well. And, and, and whether they have questions or not, there's that uncomfortable where I'm abashedly apologizing. And I felt that what would help me is having that cane in my hand. And 90% of people at least know something, at least know that speaks of vision impairment, something wrong with that guy's eyes. And I felt the next day when I walked out with that, hanging onto his elbow, it gave me a power of understanding. Of not only that, that people would understand me. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.